You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We believe that the Bible is God's word for his people. And that means when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible passage comes from Romans chapter 10, from verse 1 till the end of the chapter. Please follow along with your own Bibles. The passage will also be on the screen. I'll be reading from Christian Standard Bible. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not all obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. One of my memories of living in Newtown was a time when my, my, my daughter ran away from home. Uh, she was eight, 
and the school was right next door. She came home from school. She did something naughty. Her mum told her off. She got in a huff and ran away. Just to a car park next door, but we didn't know that. Now, Newtown is inner city Sydney. It's kind of not the safest place in the world. So we began to search for her. Uh, across the road is Sydney Uni. I, work, I walked to the grounds of Sydney Uni. I walked the streets. It's getting late, getting towards like 6 o'clock. We called out the bubble, got the students to help us search. We got these people searching all over Newtown for my daughter. Finally, a student found her, hiding behind a car. I let Pippa take up the story. Here's how she describes it later. I don't know how long I sat there in my anger, but it got dark and I got tired. I didn't want to sit there alone anymore, but I was far too stubborn to go back. Finally, I heard someone at the gate and a torch shone right into the corner I was huddled in. My neighbor saw me. He didn't scold me. He just came over, picked me up, and carried me back to my parents. Seeing my mother's tears, I promised I would never run away again. And she goes on. I've always been stubborn. Whether it was running away from my parents or from my God. I don't know how long I would have stayed out there in the dark if my neighbor hadn't come and found me. I'm sure I would have kept running from God all my life if he hadn't come out and got me in my stubborn state. As a child, I knew that being a Christian meant I had to be good. And I was good, mostly. But God's standards seemed way too high. At church, I had to live up to the expectation of being my father's daughter. I was the preacher's kid from the holy missionary family. But the rest of my life was mine, and I thought I deserved to live like I wanted. I put up a good Christian front, but in my heart I was running further and further from God. So my double life continued. My life was about trying to find my place in the world, trying to fit in and be appreciated. Then my life fell apart. Out of complete desperation, I gave up the fight. Just like my neighbor when I was eight years old, Jesus sought me out. He picked me up in my sinful state and carried me back to my father. But he did so much more than that. He washed me with his blood. He cleansed me from all my sin and presented me before the Father, righteous. Well, of course, I love that story. I think, though, it's not just her story. I think her story is kind of a microcosm of maybe your story, of the story of many people who've been found by Jesus and brought home. I want to think this afternoon about about salvation from Romans chapter 10. They're important chapters, not just in Romans, but in the whole Bible. They're often not preached on. I was in Malaysia some years ago talking to a pastor, faithful guy, he said to me, Mike, I'm preaching through Romans. I said, oh, great. How? Oh, in, in parts. 
Romans 1 to 4, Romans 5 to 8, Romans 12 to 16. I guess you count different in in Malaysia, because in my country where I come from, after 8 comes 9, oh my, I'm not going to talk about 9. Predestination, forget it. Romans 10, forget it. But, see, because Romans 10, or the whole section is about why God hasn't saved the Jews. I guess not a pressing question in your life right now, I imagine. Am I right? Why God hasn't saved the Jews. Now, there are in Australia about 90,000 Jews, about 0.4% of the population. In Melbourne, 45,000, about 1%. So, so some, but not, not a lot, of, not a lot of Jews in our country. And Paul's addressing the question here of why the, why the Jews, God's special people, haven't received Jesus. So the question he asks isn't just theological, it's personal. You know, here's, here's the Messiah come, the world's savior. He's healed the sick, he's raised the dead, he's risen from the dead, he's, he's died on a cross. And Paul's preached this for 20 years with mixed results. Some good. Gentiles have come to faith. Some bad. Most Jews haven't come to faith. And many become very, very hostile. And that's a problem for Paul, both theologically and personally, because they're, they're his people. But he, why is it the people? God's chosen people, the one he specially loved, the one he gave promises to. I'll bless you. I'll give you a nation. I'll, I'll make you a great people. All these great promises, and they don't believe them. How come? Of course, in chapter 9, the answer is because not every Jew is the real deal. You may know this. There's ethnic Israel, all those who are children of Abraham, who were by and large, if you read your Bibles, idolatrous, immoral, faithless. They're the ethnic circumcised Jews, circumcised in the flesh. Within that big group, though, were a subset. We call them the remnant who are circumcised in the flesh and in the heart. Their hearts were changed. And they loved God and they obeyed God. God never saved every Jew. He saved the remnant. He chose them. That's the first part of God's answer. It was never salvation for all, but for the few that I chose. But the flip side to their story, as there is to your story, God chose you. God set his love upon you. God said, Adam, I love you. You'll be my son. But as a flip side, at some point in Adam's life, he said, God, I choose you. You'll be my father. He chose us. We chose him. That's what Paul turns to now in chapter 10. Why didn't the Jews choose him? That's the question. And as I've said with Paul, it's not just theological, it's, it's personal. He says the words were, my heart's desire and prayer for them. They're my people. I love them. Every Saturday morning in my quiet times, I pray for the kids of friends of mine who are keen Christians, kids 
who've walked away from Jesus. It's a long list. It's a heartbreaking list. But I pray every week by name for these kids that come to know Jesus because I know their parents' heartache. There'll be some here today, well, just kids, you've got brothers, sisters, mums, dads, who don't love Jesus. You know what's ahead for them, and it breaks your heart. Doesn't it? It breaks Paul's heart. I've got a dear friend in Sydney, three girls, none where they should be spiritually, two walked away. He said to me recently, Mike, I wake up every day sad. He's a pastor. He said, I, 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 I got I, I, it's affecting my work. I've got to move on. It breaks my, uh, this breaks Paul's heart. So they're, they're his, his people, his kin, and they've rejected Jesus. They may be chosen people. They may keep the festivals, but they're not saved. Let's be clear. Jews who don't believe in Jesus aren't saved. Why? Well, Paul says they made the same mistake most people make. They sought to establish their own righteousness and didn't submit to God's righteousness. They saw the law as a way to be saved, not as a response to the fact they have been saved. They tried to work their way to heaven. When Paul became a Christian, he knew that was wrong. He wrote in a, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, these words, From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Guys, if you've read your Bible properly, you see that salvation is not by keeping the law, it's by faith in Christ. He's there in the Old Testament. In the sacrifices, the priests, it's all about him. Christ is the end of the law. It's all about him. Had they known that, they'd have received him and not tried to work their way to heaven. Then he goes on to say, it's always been a matter of the heart. Even in the old covenant, it's a heart relationship with God. And the truth you knew that. The truth you knew it wasn't about circumcision and sacrifices and giving balls. They knew that. The great verse in Micah, he's shown you what is good, what the Lord requires of you. Do justice. Love, mercy, walk with God. It's, it's the heart. Not keeping a bunch of commands. It's loving God with your heart, loving each other. And they, they miss that. They miss that. And you haven't got to go up to heaven or come down to earth to find it. It's in your heart. The psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Christ came down, lived with us, died for us, went back to heaven, showed us the gospel. He's died for us. It couldn't be easier. Don't do 10,000 things. Believe and confess, he said. You've got to do both, believe and confess. If you just believe and don't confess, you're ashamed of God. If you confess and don't believe, well, you're a hypocrite. So confess and believe. And this good news has gone out to everyone. He says, so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that's kind of all background. So let's sum up the two points Paul's made. Number one, Israel sought salvation on her own terms. They chose DIY, do it yourself. And not on God's terms, which is faith in Christ. Number two, 
God made salvation freely available to everyone. But there is another objection you could raise. Maybe Israel never got the email. Maybe no, no one ever sent to them the text. Maybe no one told them that God's salvation is freely available in Christ. So maybe they could say legitimately, hang on, but, but, but no one ever told me. But let's, let's say that uh, next Saturday night is your big brother's birthday. And a party at the Crown Casino, 7.30. And they have the party. And you're not there. Someone says to you the next day, how come you weren't there? Weren't where? That's your brother's birthday party. What party? The one at the Crown Casino and, and um, South Bank. How can... Well, no one told me. No one told you. I got the email. Didn't you get the email? No. Did, didn't you, your brother ring it? No. Oh, well, then. I'm sorry. I mean, it's not your fault if no one told you. Hardly. You can, I can't blame you. Right? That makes sense. So maybe nobody told Israel the good news. That Jesus come to bring salvation. Maybe no one ever told them the Messiah is coming. And here's what he'd be like. Here's what he'll do. And when he came, no one told them. They'd been in the dark all that time. That's not their fault. That's a complaint Paul now addresses. His answer is, the message was sent. It was received. It was read. Paul says there are certain boxes that must be ticked for someone to come to salvation. First, someone must be sent. Someone's given the job to let you know. The brother tells his wife, Honey, design the invitation and send it out. That's your job. That's the first thing. Then second, the one sent must deliver the message. Honey mice must press the send button to make sure it goes out. That's the second thing. Third, you've got to open the email and read the message. Okay? Then four, you turn up at the party. So Paul checks the boxes. Was someone sent? Tick. God kept on sending prophets. God sent me. God sent the other apostles. Was the message preached? Tick. The prophets preached. I preached again and again with proofs from the Old Testament. I preached it again and again and again. Was it heard? Tick. I know it was heard because they got angry when I preached it. It was heard. So what's the problem? Sent, yes. Preached, yes. Heard, yes. Believed, no. That's Israel's problem. The party invitation was sent. Email opened up, email read, 
And the brother said, I can't stand that guy. I'm not going. That's the problem. Verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did, says Paul. They've been told again and again, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and stubborn, obstinate people. So they've got no excuse. And in this great indictment against them, Paul's left us with one of the great missionary texts of the Bible. So this afternoon, let's do two things. Number one, let's feel the force of Paul's irrepressible logic. How can they call upon one they've never believed in? Of course they can't. How can they believe if they've never heard? Impossible. How can they believe if it's, not, if it's not preached? They'll be silly. Of course they can't. How can they preach unless someone is sent? Just can't be done. You see the link there, the connection? Sent, proclaimed, heard, believed. Sent to proclaim so they can hear and believe. You see the, the unbroken link between sending and proclaiming. Now, the Latin word for send is missio, from which we get, of course, mission and missionary. A missionary is a sent one. What's a missionary sent to do? I think it's pretty clear to proclaim. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Do you have missions? Do you have a cross and crown? You do, fantastic. And you'll have more after this talk. You'll have more. And they've been sent from you guys, primarily, ultimately, not to do dental work, but that's great. Or farming, that's good too. But their ultimate goal is to see Christ preached. A famous, a very godly Christian writer once said that mission is everything that God sends his people in the world to do. No, dear brother, it's not everything or something or anything. It's one thing. We are sent to proclaim so they hear and believe. Paul and our Lord could not conceive of missionary work that did not have at its heart and goal proclaiming Jesus. You're sending out from this church, maybe down the road to a school, maybe over to Thailand, you're sending out their gospel proclaimers. That's the first thing. The second which flows from this is verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, that's written in Isaiah in the context of the end of the exile and the good news, the exile is over. Wouldn't that be great news to hear the exile is over? I watched a while ago a documentary on the ABC called Back to Belson. 
Uh, Bergen-Belsen was a concentration camp in Germany. And in 1945, the British army arrived to liberate the camp. The guards had fled, what were left were those who were left. And what were left were the rotting corpses. And they interviewed soldiers who 75 years later still have nightmares of what they've seen at Bergen-Belsen. Just terrible. But they also saw not just corpses, but tears of joy of those left alive for their liberators, their saviors, had come. How lovely are the wheels of the trucks that brought those soldiers to Bergen-Belsen. How lovely are the feet of those soldiers who finally set those people free. How lovely are the feet of men and women who take the good news to people so they can believe and be saved. How lovely, socks or not, how lovely are their feet. Well, let me say three things by way of application. First, there might only be in Melbourne 45,000 Jews, but the gospel is still for the Jew first and also the Greek. I went uh, about two years ago to Jerusalem, and I, the plane landed at Tel, Tel Aviv Airport, ended up sharing a taxi with an American woman, an older American Jewish woman, a taxi into the city, and we got chatting. And since then, we've exchanged some emails. And in an email, she wrote this to me. I'm glad you got to some very important sites in Jerusalem and that they had an impact on you. My husband would tell people there were three things he wanted them to experience during a visit here. Number one, to have a life-changing experience. Number two, to have fun. Number three, to return home with more fervor to pray for this land. So I resolved to do that. Not the prayer property she had in mind, but I pray for that land and for the people in Melbourne and around the world who are Jews, that they may find their Savior, their Messiah, and put their faith in him. I pray that every week. Let me encourage you as part of your prayer time, because the gospel is for the Jew first, to pray for their salvation. Number two, the gospel is a message which must be preached. Yes, lived out, but preached. Uh, uh, we had a, when my wife, before COVID, was involved in ESL, in my church, English Second Language in our church. And a Muslim convert came in. And she asked him his story. And he walked one time into St. Paul's Cathedral in Melbourne, you know, on Flinders Street. Walked inside. The woman there in a pew praying. And he heard her pray. And she prayed that God would bless the people of Syria. He was stunned. He'd been taught from childhood by his Mulvey leaders to pray for God to curse the infidel, to curse the Christian. 
And here was a Christian praying for God to bless the Muslim. And he was blown away. Impressed by her, her love. But he wasn't saved. He came to ESL and he heard the gospel and he was saved. She prepared the ground. When he heard the good news of Jesus, he was saved. Sent, proclaimed, heard, believed. Finally, we all know, I think, this gospel and what it does for us. Yes, uh, I'm, I, I love being a Christian. I, I, just, I do. I wouldn't change it being for anything. It brings such joy. My sins are washed away. I'm going to heaven. It's terrific. But it also means if my sins weren't washed away, on that day, I'd stand before God clothed in my sin, a God of justice, and I'd face a wrath and an anger beyond imagination. I'd feel a fear nothing in this world could prepare me for. And I'd be consigned to eternal torment forever. That's an awful prospect, isn't it? An awful prospect, if you believe that. And if you believe that, there's not much more and more important or worth sacrificing for to make that known. In 1823, a mission called CMS sent 12 missionaries to Sierra Leone in Africa. 12. Within 18 months, 10 were dead through disease. 10 from 12. Adam, how many missionaries from Cross and Crown? Two. That's not a bad start. You get word next week, one has died. What do you do? Uh, let's pull them back. Just, it's, just, it's just too dangerous. Ten from twelve dead. What did they do? The committee were, for the moment, crushed by all this overwhelming sorrow. They gazed in one another's faces across the table. They knelt together at the footstool of the divine mercy. And one leading man rose and said in a tome of deep feeling and resolve, we must not abandon West Africa. And they sent 12 more. And they died. And they sent 12 more and more and more. And now Africa is, at least nominally, a largely Christian continent. Nominally. Because they knew what was at stake. People's eternal destiny. And the importance of sending and hearing and believing.
the beloved this afternoon. Thank God for those, maybe your mum and dad, maybe your friends, who brought the word to you. Thank God he caused you to open that email and read it and believe it. And resolve to do what you can with the gifts God's given you to get that word out that many on that day might gather around his throne and like we have done today, worship him in endless praise. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we were those who were dead in our sins and blind to the truth of the gospel and far from you. Yet you look down on us not in judgment or hostility or anger. You look down on us in grace and mercy and love and sent through various means the word of life. So we thank you, Father, for sending that word to us and giving us faith and understanding and repentance. And thank you even now we are still believing it and still loving you. We pray, we pray for those who are near and dear to us, our, our, our family members, our good friends who don't know you and our heart grieves. So please, Father, in your mercy, show them Jesus and turn their hearts. And please, in your mercy, Use us in whatever way you can to bring this gospel to the world that you may receive all the praise and honor and glory. Amen.